Today, Jill McKay and I talk about her life as a jewelry maker and how you have to think creatively in this business, like she did when she approached TV costumers like the ones at Star Trek about using her jewelry. In the words of Jean-Luc Picard, things are only impossible until they are not. Hey, Jill, I am so excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Katie. I'm glad to be with you as always. Oh, it's great. We've had these kinds of conversations many times over the years, so it's fun to get to record it and share it with everybody else. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And you're in lovely Colorado. I'm over in Arizona. We're practically neighbors. We're so close. Wish we were a little closer. (laughs) Just a little so we could visit. Yeah, that would be good. Well, I'm glad we get to visit today. And, you know, I think a lot of people who check out your work or find out about you, one of the first things that they learn is that you made jewelry for The Guiding Light and for Star Trek. That's pretty awesome and something totally different than what a lot of people do. What was that like? That was pretty fun. You have to remember that at that time, it was pretty much right before the internet came. So we were stuck with libraries and uh, we were just getting phones. And television was the main uh, medium that you could really touch a lot of people with. So I was sitting around thinking how to advance my career and my brand. And I thought, well, a lot of people watch these soap operas and stuff. So I decided that I would uh, call around in New York City and see if I could get anyone to see me. And I was seen by a couple different costumers and the one for the Guiding Light it was super easy. And I went in, showed my work, and he's like, well, let's do a promotional exchange. And I was, I had no idea what that meant. But Wait, is that code word free? <laughs> yeah, that is code word free. But it was also at the end of each show, it would say, jewelry by Jill McKay. And that's pretty fancy. Well, I could use that then. I mean, after I left that meeting, I literally went down to Bergdorf's and went through some of the bigger stores and was able to say, hi, I'm the jewelry designer for The Guiding Light. So though I wasn't paid financially, it really paid off in my ability to connect with buyers. So that worked out well. Oh, yeah. I think those promotional trades are so important, especially when it's early, early in your career, you know, where you don't maybe have a lot of things on the resume. Well, that's right. And I just, I was just making one thing at a time and selling one thing at a time. Well, Jill, tell us about your experience designing jewelry for Star Trek. I have watched every episode many times, and I just love the idea that your jewelry is on there. (laughs) Well, I don't think I've ever even watched it and seen it on there, but it was during the same time that I was designing for The Guiding Light. And At the time, I was using this new material called Friendly Plastic, and I had developed, it was a, so you would heat it and it would become malleable. So you could shape it and do all kinds of things to it, which I did. And the Guiding Light, you know, working for them showed me that, or taught me the lingo that I needed for a little TV talk. They had their, every, every little industry has their own talk but 
I was sitting at my dining room table one day and I was making jewelry for the guiding light. And this young man, probably about 10, that came in. He was the guy cutting my yard and I told him to come in anytime he wanted water. He came in and he looked at my stuff and goes, man, your stuff is so weird. It could be on Star Trek. And I I was like, oh my God, that's a great idea. Light bulb. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was literally not even my own idea. But so I got on the phone and about six phone calls later, I was connected to the costumer. It was really the six degrees of separation. It doesn't back then. And there was a lot less people in the world, you have to remember. So this was a long time ago. A lot less people designing jewelry for TV, I'd imagine. That too, yes. So I called him and I told him, you know, I design, I was the designer for the guiding light, which sounded really good. Right. right. <laughs> so then I dropped my TV lingo on him and he said, sure, I'd, I'd love to look at some of your stuff. Why don't you send some of it to me? And so I put him together a nice package that had been inspired by underwater sea creatures. So it was kind of bizarre. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And I, you know, I put it in priority two day and literally in two days he was calling me going, oh, my God. And he said, your jewelry is going where no jewelry has gone before. <laughs> yes. Score. <laughs> it's so crazy. But, yeah, it was really that simple. It really was that simple. So. But the the little boy that was cutting my yard, it it was his idea. Well, and you had the bravery to take it to the next step. That's amazing. Well, bravery or stupidity, I'm not sure. Maybe there's a little (laughs) of each, but yeah. Very cool. So, but I never, I never went to the studio. I just sent things and I was told that Gene Roddenberry's wife, who is actually in every Star Trek series that ever was would be wearing it and she was the one that hung around with lurch remember him the really huge tall guy oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. well i I never watched it i never watched my you know people would call and say oh my god your stuff's on tv and i'd say if you need something to do just come over (laughs) (laughs) tv just isn't your jam or it wasn't no i don't even own one so yeah so many things to do and learn without television so so you know it both of these things make for good stories and really help my career but to me it's it's, it was a tool that opened more doors for more creativity and more sales but I really wasn't crazy about dealing with the, the stars and the and the Hollywood group, it was kind of a, seemed kind of fakeish. No, no insults Hollywood or New York, but when I hit the craft industry, that's when I knew I had found a home. So all that TV stuff just kind of faded into the past. It was fun. I'm glad that's I cool. did it. You know, I saved my little paycheck so I could prove it from Paramount Studios. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> one of your many accomplishments. Uh, was one of them. 
I really just wanted to be able to touch more people. And boy, that really opened a lot of doors for me. So I'm very thankful for that. A lot of my friends and even family told me that I was wasting my time and I did not listen to them. (laughs) And I'm glad I didn't. You know, that is something I really admire about you is your confidence. You go boldly. (laughs) Oh, you're so how do you do that? (laughs) Well, I'm not sure if it's confidence or just willpower. So Mm -hmm. I I actually am was very insecure. I'm still insecure, but I had to learn how to stretch my boundaries in order to do what I wanted to do. And uh, moving through uncomfortable situations like putting yourself out there, that was always hard for me. So in a way, I did this one action that then uh, allowed me to be out there in a big way. So I took one step and it reached lots of people. So it was really a good move. I don't know about confidence. I think to answer that question, you have to understand that I was raising two kids on my own. And boy, you'd do anything for your kids, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. You have to be really brave sometimes and you don't think you have it in you, you know, that's right. what I think anyway. You do. You find uh, you find more reserves than you knew possible, but uh, best inspiration ever, my kids. I personally am more proud of you know, the things that I've done to help help society. So that that kind of work is more important to me, far more important. Well, tell me a little bit about that. Well, over the years, I've done a lot. I used to work at a place called The Caring Place, and that was while I was in Pittsburgh. It's a grieving center for children and their family. And I got to work with Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And Fred was a an amazing mentor and just a, a gorgeous human being. And we, I worked there for 13 years and developed all the programming for the center. And we went on to open a couple of more in different cities. And there was true intimacy in this place. And I got to use my creative skills on how to create a safe environment for creativity. And it just... You know, I left there feeling like my problems were super small. Anytime you're having a bad time, go help somebody. You'll you'll be done with that. That's <laughs> it's, right. It's true, yeah. And nowadays, so I've done a lot. In fact, I was more of a community artist than a jewelry artist for a long time. But with the two kids, uh, I had to, to become a little more capitalistic. So that's what I did did but right now I'm uh, I was chosen every year Colorado the state of Colorado chooses 12 people that they bring to the garden of the gods and they train you on how to promote change in society and how to deal with government and state officials and so I'm basically just finishing I did my training, but now then they give you money to do a project. And right now I'm doing, working on my project. And then in September, I'll be certified as a Colorado change maker, change leader, excuse me. That's amazing. It's, it's good for the soul. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it seems like you use your creativity in so many different ways. You know, you yeah. use it for your job. You also are using it to make change 
what will that look like once you are officially designated a change maker? What will you do that will be different or the same? Well, I will be basically accredited by the state of Colorado to teach anywhere I want to teach and work with any government I want to work with, any city, county, state, and all the above. And basically, they continue to give us, and and they're connecting us to the Utah. Utah has a similar uh, program going. So we all work together and support each other's projects. And uh, with the state behind you, it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful to have been chosen. And I love the people that I get to meet through the program. Yeah, I bet it's a really interesting group. It's, it's a very phenomenal group of humans. So I feel really pleased to be amongst them. Wasn't it Mr. Rogers who is quoted as saying that when you're in trouble, look around for the helpers? Find the helpers. Yes, Find the was. helpers. Yeah. So basically, I try to be a helper. <laughs> That's exactly where I'm going with that. Yeah, you're a helper. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I ruined your segue. No, no. No, <laughs> no it's fine. Well, you know, I think it's really important for you to give back to your community regularly. I really do. And that's how I raise my kids, too. So, And they do, too. So, Yeah, it's a big part of your life. It's yeah. really inspiring. Thank you. You've been making jewelry and doing all kinds of different examples of your art, you know, doing different iterations of your art over the years. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite so far? What's What's one that really has, you know, been meaning a lot to you lately? Well, my favorite always has been designing. So working with my pencil and creating components from scratch. And for me, you know, I learned how to draw a long time ago, but it also meant learning how to be in the flow state because I'm not sure how it works, but these these pieces these drawings just would move through me and plop out on the paper and then I could refine them or rework them. And uh, oft times came in my sleep, which sounds kind of odd, but it really did happen. And so I really love to design lines of jewelry making products. That is my absolute favorite. And it's what I've done the most of in my life, in my career. And you've done that for yourself and you've done it on behalf of other companies and worked yes. with overseas manufacturing and right. I can see how there are lots of different examples of that. And yeah. what about the flow state though? Is there something that you do to get yourself to it faster? Well, I actually studied about it. There's a wonderful book that's been out a long time called uh, flow, the psychology of optimal experience and the body and biology of our minds are actually, you know, tuned towards survival. And if you can hit that place where action and awareness merge, uh, the time moves strangely and your worries disappear, but your innovation and your focus and everything else soars. So it's a wonderful place to spend time. And I worked over a period of a decade on how to stay in that state longer and longer. And I got to the place where I could stay in it for hours, which meant the drawings were just coming through very, you know, profusely, which was a big benefit because that's what I was doing 
to uh, make a living. So for me, it worked very well. And it also works well because the stress goes away, the worries go away, the bad things happening in the world disappear, and you're in a really wonderful place merged with creative action. It's a great place to live. Yeah, definitely. That creative zone. I think Mm -hmm. we'd all like to spend more time there. You know, Mm -hmm. it seems like there are so many things pulling our attention away, especially mm-hmm. when you're doing your jewelry as a business. You have to run the business. Well, you you do. You know, and that's not that's not necessarily related to flow, right? So, well, no. But if if you don't do the business part, you can stay in the flow all day, but you might starve to death. So. Right. <laughs> Baby, gotta eat. Yeah. Being a starving artist was never really my thing. No. Right. So, but yeah, the business part is is equally as important. And I had to study a lot more about that than I did the flow state because I had no business background. And I have a learning disability in numbers. So I had some challenges to overcome. But I also looked for the cutting edge on. So I just didn't want to be like the regular salesperson. I wanted my work to matter to me and to other people. And found you know I found meaning and I I found ways to you know work in the artistic world through my jewelry and it was really lovely. But the business part, I I was rather bold. I would just go, but you you know what it it, it just didn't happen overnight. I worked very hard to learn the industry. I supplemented my income by teaching and working in the craft industry for years. By you know promoting other people's products and being in the booths. But uh, when I finally got to quit teaching and doing all that and just focus on jewelry, I really felt like then I had made it. But it took years. Yeah. But it's nice to to find your home. Oh, boy. You know, and to know that you can do all those other things if you have to. So it's kind of that don't quit your day job thing you know, keep working. Yeah, the day job was creative too. So that was finding the craft industry was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's where I met you. That's right. Years and years and years ago, decades ago. (laughs) Yes. I've been thinking lately about some of those old projects, you know, that I sold way back in the day. Mm -hmm. Who's who could believe it? You know, <laughs> I, well, it is. It's but I'll tell kind you, of amazing. I, it is amazing. But I think the the women in the craft industry truly are our tribe. So it's definitely just meant a lot to me and super supportive. You can't do this alone. There's just no way. You just help each other. And uh, these women have always, including you, we've always been willing to help one another and teach one another. Yeah, you're right. And I think that, um, you know, to be with people who understand what you do is a pretty rare thing when you do something as unique as what we do. It's true. It's very So unique. not having to explain is really nice. Super nice. And like and my, I have lifelong friends, but I don't sit and talk about my work with them because they'd be bored to tears. So <laughs> it's sure it's nice to have friends like you. Likewise. You totally get it. Yeah, I think it's true. And it it's definitely changed over the, you know, we used to have the Society of Craft Designers and the, mm-hmm. that's where we met. Then there are other, lots of other organizations within the jewelry side of the business. And, you know, now that there haven't been as many in-person meetings, I think mm-hmm. people are really longing for that sense of community and finding it online in a lot of places. Lots. 
Yeah. How has your how has your focus your community type of um, focus changed? Well, since things are moving more online. Yeah. I actually was self-employed, as you know, for years and years and years. And then uh, about four years ago, I was given an opportunity. I was Somebody made me an offer that I really couldn't refuse. It was just optimal. So I actually became an employee and was working, designing three lines for a jewelry company out of Longmount. And it was pretty neat because it's made in America. It wasn't anything jewelry that I would would have worn, but... It's not your style particularly. Not my style, but, you, you know, you have to design outside your own style a lot in the world. But then COVID hit, and this company went down. And luckily, I thought the company was starting to fall apart a little bit before COVID, so I started picking up some of my old contracts like with jewelry television and other places because I felt that the management was iffy. And then the reason they went down though was because most of all of their customers were brick and mortar. So it was surprising, you know, that this company was really still doing pretty well and then went down because of that. But so that put me into the place where I had to shift gears in a big way. And as you know, I kind of prefer being behind the scenes, me and my pencil in the flow state, right? Right, right. <laughs> that's, that's where I like to be. But so I started doing Facebook lives and developed my website. So there's lots of beads to choose from. I, so I work, you know, I just, it's like a, it's a vertical integration. I create things with the products I sell on my website. So, but the Facebook community, it's just shocking to me how eager people are for content and community. Yeah. Do you find that there um, people are tuning in every week to your live shows kind of just to hang out with you? They are, which I find just wonderful. It's just so nice to have. I know people by name now, but yeah, they they do. And as you know, I've been working with uh few of our colleagues for the Great Bead Extravaganza, which has been a big help. That's our virtual beads shows that we put on four times a year. So it's it's very helpful to have a community of people that support you always. Yeah, definitely. Do you find that in those online spaces, you're able to talk about the same kinds of things that got you excited about teaching? Like, I know you're really committed to the idea of helping people embrace their creativity or discover their creativity. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you can do that online? I have been able to. And, you know, I like teaching online now more than in person. So I... Really? Why is that? Yeah, because when I was teaching in person, there were always people that really just didn't want to be happy with your class. And I'm, and I'm the kind of, I'm a people pleaser. I really like everybody happy and everybody supportive. And they, they didn't, they couldn't just click a button and tune out, right? They paid money to be there. So this model works well because everything I'm doing is for free. I'm teaching for free. I'm offering creative content for free. And in return, they go to my website and hopefully purchase things, which they're doing. So it, so the people that aren't happy with what I'm doing just tune out and 
I don't have to deal with them. It's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) You keep it positive over there. (laughs) Uh, Well, I, uh, you know, I just, I, I think life is pretty wonderful and there's no reason to be unkind or, you know, there's people in this world that definitely like to be unhappy or create drama. I just don't like being around them. Well, I think you have some really good um, boundaries around that. You know, as your friend, I know that you, you do keep things positive. And you're not willing to put up with that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, that that, yeah. that nobody wants to be around anyway. And so it's, it's interesting. I think this, I feel like when I was teaching, I could kind of create a little community in my class, mm-hmm. you know, and I haven't done as much of it online where people are interacting with me. I've done plenty of demonstrating, mm-hmm. you know, but I think it's different when you're getting people's comments and very different. And what they want to know, too. I think it's fascinating always. I learn as much about what about I learn as much during the class about what people want to know. Exactly. I, I ask a lot. What would you like? You know, what do you want to learn? And, and I try to find out what level my, you know, where people are at in their jewelry making abilities, because you really do end up finding a little niche, you know. So, well, hopefully you end up doing that. I'm happy that it's working and I'm tickled that I can do it from home because it's life is just easier when you don't have to travel and get on airplanes and book hotels. You can save a lot more money. So I'm I'm really pretty happy with the online the online teaching. So Yeah. Well, and you live in such a beautiful place and you've created such a beautiful workshop there. We featured it in beadwork a couple of issues ago and it's just so pretty. It's like a shop. You can shop your own studio. It is an old shop. It's an old, it's an old general store. So it was the storefront part. So half of the house was the store and the other half is where the people lived. And it's the same for me. It's half of it's my studio and half is where I sleep and eat. So the studio half is basically where I live. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You just stop by the other part to sleep and eat. Yeah, I sleep and eat over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes answer emails, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been thinking lately about arranging my space differently. So right now I have one area where I make jewelry and then I have this area where I do podcasting and writing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And just the flow of it isn't great. It seems mm-hmm. like you really have a good flow there too. Well, <laughs> if you could see my studio right now, you would think my, <laughs> my flow became a flood and damaged all things. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I actually am hopping busy and need to hire someone to help me, but haven't got there yet. So depending, you know, things change. Generally, I would develop a product line and then teach people how to use it and support the sales with the content. But now it's, uh, I'm not, well, I am developing some product right now. I'm doing, I found a new manufacturer. So I've begun drawing again, and I can't tell you how happy that makes me. So Oh, nice. It's good. But I, I do have an area just for the drawing. And then, but the beading kind of just. Kind of takes over, doesn't it? Creeps over and takes over everything. Yeah. Except for the torch area. That. That kind of rules because it's fire. Do you get on the torch very often these days? Not as often as I once did, though, because I'm not really sure why. I just, I haven't been playing with the metal as much. I'm really enjoying 
So I love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner, and I'm really enjoying getting super quality beads and learning how to teach myself things I don't know. You know, the best way to learn something is to teach it. So I sit and practice and get better at it, and then I show other people how to do it. And I, and as I'm doing that, I'm actually just practicing more. So it's really right. pretty fun because I have to keep it fresh and new and different. So, and besides, there's so many people that are so much better at it, like Kate. <laughs> so metal smithing you mean <laughs> yes she's one of my sheroes yeah mine too well what are the things that you're working on now are you mostly doing stringing or would you say other techniques well i'm doing mixed media where i'm still incorporating leather shapes with beading but i'm also finding unique ways to work with beads i try to make content that so lately i've been imagining a concept like last week i imagined what it would be like if i could wear water if water could be a bracelet and then i used my materials to try and create what that would look like oh wow yeah it was a lot of fun and it was successful so i think i'm gonna design some challenges around really unique concepts it's just kind of opens up my imagination a little bit, which I find super helpful. <laughs> well, it makes you think about things in a different way. I've never really thought about what it would be like to wear water. <laughs> I'm a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think there's lots of inter- interpretations for that. You know, yeah, people totally. have a different, yeah, different ideas. Yeah. I that is a, very cool. I spend a lot of time near a river and a lake and uh, water is just, it's mesmerizing to me. So. Yeah, well, tell me a little bit about the public art that you do, because that incorporates water, too, one of the pieces that I know about. Yes, well, I'm very fortunate to be amongst a group of artists in my town that is pre-approved to work through the Art in Public Places program. And most cities have these programs. I would, I think most, but certainly bigger cities. But I'm lucky my little city has one. And uh That means every time they do a project, a building project, that 1% of all of that project, and, you know, cities have big projects. So 1% goes to public art. And I'm on the list that they get to choose from as far as who they use to, to create that content. And then you work with a team from the city, including engineers and project managers and park designers and all kinds of stormwater, all kinds of engineers and people that make cities run. And then you get to develop a a piece or pieces of art that are permanent installations in your community. So it's really quite an honor for me to be able to do that. Definitely. And those pieces are definitely labors of love. They I watched are. the videos that you had of <laughs> the giant boulders that you did mosaic and mosaic yeah. onto the bridge and the pebble garden. Yes. And all of those things are, you're meticulously putting small pieces together, but it's a really big project. Yeah. It's hard work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're big projects and learning how to budget those out has been, you know, an experience for me. It's just all, I'm always learning, but I really like to, do things I've never done before, which 
it's hard to budget something you've never done before. So I've learned a lot along the way and I'm getting better at it. So I'm working on one now that's a, a flood marker and it's going to sit near the, the mosaic bridge piece and uh, have some similar qualities. So, you know me, I like reflective materials because it makes the piece more dynamic and the, they're always changing literally every second of the day. So it's never static or the same. It's just alive. Well, the, the reflective mosaic that you did on the bridge when the water, when there's water there, then it looks like it's also on the bridge, right? Right. So it's, am I remembering that right? Yeah, you are. It sits right next to a national heritage river called the Cachele Puder, which is the river I live next to here near my studio travels all through town and when in the springtime, when the river's high, when the snow melt off is, is coming down, you can, so it was just a big blank cement wall before I put up these waveforms of mosaic mirror. And when the river's high, you can look at the river. So the river's behind you, but you're looking at it reflecting into the surface of the, the mosaic. So it's pretty it worked out. That's how I planned it. And it actually, it actually, <laughs> it worked out really well. It actually works in the springtime. So, do you think that creating big pieces like that also does something for your jewelry making, or vice versa? I do because it gives me a break from. So, to me, jewelry making is is small scale sculpting. Basically, to me, it's it's little sculpture that you get to wear. So. Right. And I've always felt like that. And I never met a female sculptor, you know, when I was coming up. I I knew one woman that made a living off her art, and she was a, a big help to me as far as, you know, I'd call her up going, oh, my God, I work 68 <laughs> hours, and I'm still not making enough money. And she'd go, work 78 hours. I'm like, Really? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so jewelry, I was lucky, you know, I learned in high school, I had a wonderful teacher that taught silversmithing. So I took silver, I had, and she had a little shop near the high school, and she let me use her professional studio, which was so cool. After she taught me how to use all these tools, then she set me free in her studio And uh, that had everything I could possibly want or need. So I was really very fortunate. What a gift. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that those people in our lives, we can't put a big enough emphasis on how important they are. Game changers. Yes. Thank you, Mrs. Brigham. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, When you were working with her, then did you expand into larger works or did you stay small and do jewelry? I did jewelry for, you know, I've been doing jewelry since then. I did, you know, love to draw and did a lot of that. But, you know, as a woman back at that time, it was very hard to break into the art scenes, very male dominated. So jewelry was a place where I could just create and it was something that other women wanted. So it was, it was very helpful. But I did, in high school, my teacher, you know, taught us to draw and, and had us doing shows at the local mall. And the summer I was 16, I sold, uh, I used to do these little scratch boards of animals and pets. 
and I I made three thousand dollars once the summer I was sixteen. Wow! When I was sixteen, yeah, in like nineteen seventy one, and realized then that I could probably I could probably make a living as an artist. So it was pretty helpful to have a teacher that actually showed us how to work in the world. The the, the colleges in our country don't even teach artists artists. That's a good word. Don't teach <laughs> artists how to do business. I mean. She was actually showing us how to do business. So Well, and it gave you the fire that you needed to know that you could do this. It gave it gave you confidence too. Yeah. I paid for my my car insurance and everything and it was it also gave me a lot of freedom, right? So Right. Which I really have always wanted and managed to uh, make important in my life. Yeah, well, I know you work your tail off, so that freedom does not come cheap. <laughs> Our work that we love isn't really like work, right? So it's it is it is work, but it's not because you love it. So we're blessed. It's true. I've always said though that when you're when your hobby becomes your work, then you kind of need a new hobby because you can't <laughs> relax, you know, doing the same thing. Right. Do you have is drawing your thing that you do well, to relax? Oh well, so that's where the public sculpture comes in. That's kind of uh-huh. a, that's kind of a real treat to get to do those. Though physically, they're becoming more and more demanding as I age. So I'm going to have to find a new way to do that. Well, I have no doubt that you will. Didn't you just take <laughs> Illustrator in the last couple of years or something? I, what do I remember about this? I had to learn Illustrator to when I was hired at the company that the job that I actually took four years ago, uh, I had someone doing all the illustrator work for me to do the factory drawings that, that would then be cut into metal. And uh, they fired her. <laughs> I'm like, but wait, <laughs> wait, I needed her. <laughs> yeah, she was part of my, yeah, she was part of the deal. But so I had to, you know, make myself more valuable to the company since it looked like they were firing people. So I taught myself Illustrator, though, you know, it's, I, I don't know how to do Illustrator like a lot of the, a lot of people do. I know how to do what I need to know how to do, which is, you. I think you could be on Illustrator or Adobe Illustrator for 10 years and still learn more. Not know everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, plus, it's always changing, which is tricky. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's a challenge. I think it's good to keep learning that stuff, though, because it does just go into the toolbox of things that you know how to do. Well, it does. I used, I started with pen and ink and pen and paper. Then I had to go to, you know, Photoshop. And so, you know, just to not become, I'm pretty much of a dinosaur still, but to, to try and stay relevant in your market, you do have to continue to learn and decide what it is, which skill it's going to give you the most, you know, opportunities in your career. And Illustrator is a big one. Well, and pushing boundaries into being able to create more money from your work. That's right. I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to. Yep. That's true. It's very true. Got to do more and more. Well, tell me about your favorite tool or what are some tools that you use that really revolutionize your work? Well, I don't have an actual physical metal tool that's my favorite. I, I, my hands are my favorite tool and my eyes. And uh, I've had some issue with my eyes. So I really, 
I'm just, I really hold sight precious. And as my hands age and get more arthritic, I just, you know, I just cherish the fact that I can still use my hands to learn and teach myself new things and then turn and share that with others. So I'd have to see my hands. I love it. (laughs) That seems just perfect. Well, Jill, I love talking with you and learning more about you, even though I've known you a long time. This is wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Katie. You're such a joy and you're so easy to be with and speak to. I learn a lot from you. Thanks. So, Jill, where can we find you? Well, the easiest place to find me is on my website, which is jillmckay.com. That's J-I-L-L-M-A-C-K-A-Y.com. And on Facebook, I'm jillmckay.pro. And from those places, you can find all of the other places. Great. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and review Jewelry Artist on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Jewelry Artist is a production of Golden Peak Media and Interweave. It's hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tammy Hahnemann and Merle White with special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. This episode was recorded and edited by Daisha Clay. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer. Jewelry, the final frontier.